0: We'll yeah! be All right, here we go today is sunday january thirteenth two thousand and nineteen. Holy crap this is uh, what well, this is the year of blade Runner isn 't it I believe it is yeah.
1: well the original
0: the right right the original and this is uh, episode two hundred and thirty one of the defensive security podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always is Mr. Andrew Kellett.
1: Happy New Year, my friend. Hopefully you had a restful and productive New Year break and holiday break of whatever holiday you choose to uh, participate with.
0: It was a great festivus. Uh, Yep, absolutely. Um, No, seriously, though, it was a wonderful uh, break. Hope hope it was great for you, too. Um, It went by in a flash uh, for for a lot of different reasons, but I I had a really great time, so thank you.
1: Indeed. So let me ask the question that everybody's wondering. Why are we so bad at getting shows out?
0: Um, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill everybody. And that's a lot of people to have to go kill.
1: <laughs> Not really. 20? <I> 25?
0: Mean, <laughs> 20, I mean, still, but that's like, you know, now you're <laughs> yeah, into the, that's the a whole lot. serial... Uh, yeah, and there's travel. Right, right, right. Paperwork. Yep.
1: So, really, what you are saying is just your your day job has mm-hmm. been
0: busy. I've been very, very busy. Actually, I, I would say that I I, th- I feel like I've been busier now than I have ever been in my entire career. Wow! Um, and um, uh, you know, notwithstanding the break, I you know that during the break I um I had family in town. My son was home from college, and uh, just we just couldn't make it work. So, I apologize. Things I think are slowing down at work a little bit. So. Look, you know, look for a, a more hopefully more regular release schedule. And thank you for your patience, everyone. Indeed. All right. But we're here, we're here today. But we're here today, and that That's right. is what counts. And we have some some I think pretty great stories. So, um, but right bef- but before we get into those, just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers.
1: But for an adequate fee, they could.
0: That is also true. Okay. So first up, um, a story from lifehacker.com. It's not a, uh, not at all an InfoSec story, but I thought it was actually a pretty good InfoSec story. The title here is uh, Why Smart People Make Stupid Decisions. And uh, you actually sent this one over, and and I thought it was. I mean, it really resonated with me as being a, a someone who makes a lot of stupid decisions. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> you know, the, the the I love how the author characterizes that right out of the gate. He says, uh, as you know, when other people make stupid mistakes, it's because they're fundamentally incompetent. But when you make a stupid mistake, it's because of specific circumstances, and or because someone else is fundamentally incompetent correct and um and that is actually that is very very true for um for most people but then uh, he 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 goes on to talk about uh some causes of of making stupid decisions as defined by a uh, um let's see by somebody named Robbins Adam Robinson who's a a chess master
1: i want some title with master on the end but a cool one not like like lame web webmaster
0: some- <laughs>
1: yeah. I gotta find something that I has an official <laughs> title that is cool, like you know, blade master, you know, blacksmith master, I don't know.
0: master electrician, <sighs> master plumber.
1: This could go so badly. I should never have brought this up. Let's oh, just move on.
0: Right. Master Cyberman. Is he? There you go. All right, something new.
1: But uh, he, yeah, he brings up. And, and this kind of ties in with uh, the talk I gave uh, recently at DerbyCon uh, about uh, in part of social engineering attacks and psychological attacks uh, prey on these sorts of things and and something you and I have talked about a lot of of training in infrastructure awareness uh, isn't a silver bullet. it doesn't fix all the problems because people are variable in their performance and he he's talking about the ears what sort of things affect, good decision-making uh, and uh, has seven factors.
0: Yep. And this, the seven factors that affect uh, performance in decision-making is, uh, number one, being outside of your circle of competence, which, again, which
1: I am all the time, every <laughs> day, so I'm pretty much screwed.
0: Well, that's true, and you know the worst part is that uh, most people don't recognize that they are outside of their, their their circle of competence, which is...
1: I am so amazing, I recognize it.
0: Right. You know, more, way more than half of people are above average drivers. So <laughs> um, stress is the second factor, which, um, you know, we've we've talked about in the past is, uh, you know, that's a contributing factor to why people might, you know, mistake a, a fish rushing or urgency against something that that, um, you know, a lot of social engineering techs take advantage of fixation on an outcome, which is. I think this goes back to the thing, the point that you often make that, you know, people are, uh, you know, I guess outside of security, right? People are incented to do a particular function for their company and that function right. is not like identifying phishing emails. Right. It's, uh, it may be
1: reviewing resumes that get sent in.
0: Right. Or publishing, sales. publishing, uh, you know, payroll or, or selling right. selling products or you know, what, what have you, nobody, there's very, very few people who have the luxury of, you know, having a job where they get to identify phishing emails all day. Um, next one is information overload. And that can obviously manifest itself in, in lots of ways. I, I mean, I look, I, I, I can see that in myself a lot. You know, I, I will, you know, be staring at spreadsheets and, uh, and kind of get lost and and um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see how that would be a factor: a groupthink or social cohesion, right? So yeah, um, you don't know, challenge
1: the status quo. Yeah, everybody else has
0: clicked the email. How come you haven't? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, being in the presence of an of an authority, including yourself. Which, by the way, that is like the business email compromise. Absolutely, you know, embodied. It, you
1: know- and going back to group thing or concern for social cohesion, great example of that is uh, allowing somebody to tailgate through a, a badge door. Yep. Is a perfect example yep. of that. Yep.
0: Um, holding, um, yeah, holding a door open for someone. Right.
1: Right. Being yeah. in the presence of an authority an authority figure. Uh, yeah. Like you said, that's email, business email compromise in a nutshell is somebody's faking being an executive, uh, or a leader, somebody with authority over you and, uh, asking you to do X, Y, Z. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So, um, you know, it's, it, I think the net point of this is, if you want to make better decisions and and make fewer mistakes, you have to recognize the factors that will drive um you know drive some of those those poor decisions and, and mistakes. And honestly, I think a lot of that from a, I mean, there's two two ways to view that. One is as a you know as an individual person, what can you do to rec you know to recognize these factors in you. But then also from the from the perspective of a um, you know of a person who's designing a security program trying to keep a, an organization safe you know these are things that should be designed into process into processes and and security programs to accommodate you know the failability of people under these different circumstances people are going to be stressed they are going to have deadlines you know they are going to be. You know that, that you're going to have managers who are overbearing, and somebody's going to try to, f- you know, spoof being one of those managers. And you know, what are you going to do about that? And so on. By the way, this, um, this I, I thought this is also interesting because there's a there's a uh, two books by a guy named Robert Cialdini. Uh, one is called Persuasion, and the other one is called Pre-Suasion. And he actually goes through the different uh, the different factors of persuasion, and, and the seven items here not directly maps but are very similar in nature to um, to that and if if you're if you're interested in social engineering at all go read those books they're fascinating they'll tell you why um you know what you should do if you're having a heart you think you're having a heart attack is not to just scream that you're having a heart attack point at someone and say you go call 911
1: sure yeah 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 that's there's a concept um, I will not do it justice but uh, a group mentality concept uh, like when something uh, out of normal or dangerous or weird happens Uh, there was an incident in Detroit many many years ago where a a woman was being assaulted on a bridge um, by a man very large, much larger than her and surrounded by spectators and nobody did anything and they were trying to figure out why and it's that sort of Uh, there's a term for it that i cannot remember but that kind of concept of the group think you you're waiting for somebody else to take lead or tell you what to do and it's rare for those unless they have extensive training to break out of that uh and take charge themselves of a situation so it's uh, we are normally sort of passive in an unknown unexpected situation uh because we're waiting for an authority figure. So yeah, that goes to your point. If somebody tells a specific person to do a specific thing. It breaks out of that group think. Um, and I know
0: I'm not doing this topic justice with the proper terms, but, um, yeah, I, I will tell you that that's that specific, um, situation you just described is actually in one of those books. I forget which one he talk oh, well, He talks good. about that very, that, that yeah. very case. So it's a really fascinating. So anyway, um,
1: Yeah, I mean, but back to this, I mean, one of the things that that they don't talk about in the story, but one of the things that I kind of talk about trying to deal with is if it's a really critical decision, uh, don't leave it to chance. Don't leave it to individual human judgment. Have a second pair of eyes validated. Have a process that must be completed. Um, Remove some of the uh, sort of uh, inherent opportunity to make a bad decision by building some sort of cross-check or checklist into that decision making. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you
0: guys, you, pilots have. I mean, you've you've kind of embraced that that type of uh, challenge, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything is done via checklist, uh, and you're taught as well something called cockpit resource management, where if you're flying with multiple pilots, everybody has the authority to. Uh, challenge the situation. If back in the early days of aviation, and you still see this actually in some Asian cultures, the captain of the aircraft uh, is never challenged. Uh, was never challenged. They, they are the, the the commander of that aircraft, and uh, what they said went. Even when other members of the crew saw that they were putting the flight in danger, or in or you know about to have a fatal incident, uh, the rest of the crew was reluctant to speak up and challenge the captain. So in most Western airlines, and uh, and I only say this because it's still a problem in some um, Eastern cultures uh, because of their cultural makeup, and and I cannot think of it – there's a certain term for it. But anyway, Western culture, they have taught specifically about CRM where uh, each each crew member is checking each other, challenging each other. If something is not going according to what it should, um, they have the expectation and the authority to challenge that. Uh, now, it still doesn't happen all the time correctly, but, you know, that is the concept. So, you know, you translate this back into IT security in an enterprise, you've got a very similar situation, right, where you've got, you know, can you foster a, a, an environment where someone can escalate over their boss if something's going drastically wrong without fear of retaliation and condemnation? And, um, you know, and that's that's a whole other set of problems, but I don't think we've got a good handle on that in in, in the IT world today.
0: No, certainly but yeah, not.
1: Uh, to to your first point, yes, everything's done via checklist, uh, and even to the point where if you're taught if you get interrupted during the checklist, start over mm-hmm. to make sure you don't miss anything. So yep. Well, it's I and mean even, the, the,
0: developing those kinds of uh, heuristics to help help uh, com- combat the. The challenges I think make a lot of sense. It's you know it's difficult to do. It's I I I think there's a difficult line to walk between you know being in in an organizational context. Obviously, being in the cockpit of an airplane at thirty thousand feet, is a different situation. But you know, walking that line of what is the right level of of policy and process and, and checklists and whatnot is a difficult. It's a, it's a difficult thing to navigate
1: yeah because there's a there's a uh, you know you introduce friction and drag into an organization when you start doing that sort of thing right you you reduce nimbleness you reduce uh, flexibility uh, you reduce speed to execution um, when you start doing that but that is sort of the the trade off if right. you want to uh, find a way to avoid some of these situations where people make mistakes or are being led to make mistakes by bad actors.
0: Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, move on to the next story. This one comes from the Chicago Tribune and the title here is Tribune publishing continues investigation of malware attacks as some process process is still affected. So this, um, this happened right at the end of last year, uh, actually, um, right around my birthday, which was, was an interesting story. Um, yeah, you know, basically the, the the Tribune Publishing uh, Tribune Publishing is like a network of news of uh, nationwide newspapers here in the U.S. And uh, apparently, uh, there it wasn't the you know it wasn't the SCADA systems that were impacted. It was apparently the design systems that produce the plates that the machinery that prints the newspaper. Uh, uses their, that
1: their fancy version of Microsoft Word yeah
0: <laughs> Quark whatever. quark express yeah. <laughs>
1: what, whatever it is they're using
0: yeah so so um apparently uh, that that function was a like a common resource a common shared resource across all of these different newspapers and um is to to the best of of anyone's knowledge now uh that environment was infected with the riot. Uh, malware, and you know, of course, everybody was um, you know kind of throwing around. Oh my God, th- this was the work of the North Koreans, because of course RIAC, uh can trace its lineage back to Hermes, and Hermes was uh, you know some of the the, the malware that um, that the North Koreans used to attack the Far East Investment Bank and uh, in in other victims in the past. So um, you know, there's there's unfortunately not a lot more information about this particular event yet, except that it was a um, there, there's a lot of um, a lot of recent press that uh, that does support the fact or the the assertion that it was the Ryuk malware, but we don't know how it got in and and exactly what what uh, systems it impacted, but there is a uh, there is another story. And This one comes from Security Week, and the title is, "Was North Korea wrongly accused of ransomware attacks?"
1: What are you talking about? Attribution is always one hundred percent accurate.
0: Totally, totally. So, um, so this 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 post is, uh, you know, kind of points out that in um, uh, right right in the in the, the time around and shortly after this, uh, Chicago, the the Tribune Publishing news broke. There were lots of think pieces about you know, analyzing the similarity in the code structures between Hermes, which is, you know, known to to be associated with North Korea and Ryuk. And you can kind of see, if you look through the call trees, they all, it looks very, very similar. And so whoever, basically the assertion is, whoever, whoever is perpetrating these attacks probably started with the, the source code of Hermes and And you know, so not a lo- big logical leap that it would be uh, North Korea, but the the this article goes on to point out that actually Hermes was available for sale for quite some time on underground markets, you know the dark web <laughs> sorry, I can't even say that without laughing dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so yeah it was hermes was uh, was for sale and it sold as a kit. Now now the thing about both Hermes and, and Ryuk is they are different than many of the other types of uh ransomware in that they are tailored uh, to an organization so they're it it requires some amount of uh, of intelligence about the org- the victim organization because it, you end up hard coding hosts and credentials into the actual malware and as well uh, at least that's my understanding. I'm Not sure about if that's still the case with Ryuk, but the other point point is that um, with uh, Ryuk, the uh, anything Hermes, the key, the encryption keys are set up and embedded into the into the binaries. So it's not like uh, it's not like kind of garden variety uh, ransomware. They are kind of built on a customer by customer or a Customer by customer, victim by victim, <laughs> basis. Thank
1: you for calling the ransomware helpline. <laughs> Your call is important to us. Please hold for the next available representative.
0: That's right. That's right. So, um, so the you know the point of this article is that it's um it's quite likely given the nature of of these attacks and the fact that that Ryuk is seen being delivered by TrickBot and in a, which is mentioned in this article, but. Um, you know, there's other sources that talk about how it's um, it's being also delivered by Emotet, right? And Emotet is, you know, is is a uh, what's the best? I need to come up with a clever name for it, but you know, it's basically, you know, it's it's the it's the industrialization of attacks. It's you know, trying to infect workstations and then putting access to those workstations up for sale. And so somebody comes along and buys access to Emotet and slams in riot, and, you know, away they go. So, um, that does Your not...
1: call is very important to us. While you're waiting, common problems of ransomware can be solved by looking at our website. <laughs> you're screwed by ransomware.com. You, Please continue you, to hold... Have you
0: looked at our knowledge base? Many problems can be solved.
1: The average yes. wait time is currently 38 days.
0: <laughs> so, anyhow, um, attribution is hard, uh, but, you know, it's it's been interesting. There's been a quite a lot of... Uh, I mean, probably not in raw terms, right, percentage-wise, but there's been a lot of notable uh, cases recently with, you know, SAM-SAM and, uh, and RIAC lately, um, you know, with the, the water company in, what was it, North Carolina and the the city in, um, in Alaska and, you know, Atlanta with SAM-SAM, but kind of a similar type thing. This is, uh, you know, these are becoming... More common. I don't know. I don't know if um, if we're going to c- continue to see that. There, you know, it's 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 interesting because um, you know, it, just kind of being in the industry, you kind of at least uh, I am observing a change, a recent change away from uh, you know, really aggressive ransomware, crypto ransomware, towards pretty aggressive um, placement of crypto mining.
1: Right, well, but I wonder if that's changing because most of the value of those cryptocurrencies have collapsed dramatically from the height, and I wonder how the economics of that work out now, and if yeah, they might shift I, back to ransomware.
0: Well, that's the, so. So, I was um, I was having this debate, and I don't know the answer, but I will tell you. You know th- this. This kind of reminds me of game theory because I, I wonder if with the declining value of cryptocurrency. The raw, you know, the it makes less economical sense for a lot of the big, you know, like the big industrial um, miners, you know, the, like in China and in some of the Asian countries where they have just giant warehouses of you know of ASICs running, um, you know, and, and those things are no longer profitable because you just can't pay for the power based right. on the current value. So that, that basically, what that means is that the 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 amount of processing power In the you know in the cryptocurrency network is falling off, which means that you can probably make more money using uh um, you know with with miners. So I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting question. I don't have the answer, but I I think there's probably some kind of dynamic going on there.
1: Yeah, no, that is that would be interesting to kind of see played out in a research study, but by people smarter than me
0: (laughs) with more time than me. So um next. Next uh, is from healthcareitnews.com, and the title is Staff Lapses and IT System Vulnerabilities are Key Reasons Behind SingHealth cyber attack," According to COI Report. So um, back in, uh, I guess it was, uh, let's see, when was this? Yeah, between uh, between J- June and I was thinking it was 2017, but it was 2018. June and between June and early uh, early July of 2018, uh, Sing Health's database was breached, and I think about a million and a half uh, health records were taken. And at the time, you know, there, there was a whole lot of news about this because the the prime minister or the president of um, of Singapore his his specific health records have been like queried manually a bunch of times um you know and, and as well as the all of the data taken so and then there was the, the the very controversial step at least in my view it was controversial um where they they disabled internet access for all their employees and uh, you know and so i think at the time we talked about that you know well, there's probably they probably had some reasons, but you know from the outside it kind of looks a little reactionary. Um, this this particular article here is a little is a very very brief summary of a 450 page report, which is absolutely amazing to read. It's a it's really great reading. Note Jerry's version of amazing may be different than yours. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Um. Yes. So so anyway, uh, in the in this very long report, they actually go through in excruciating detail all of the findings in the investigation, you know, including hypothesis of exactly how it landed, how the actor moved laterally through the environment and compromised different systems. They discuss in in kind of gory detail the failings that let this particular actor Maintain persistence. You know, like there were a lot of um, you know, there's a, there, there were quite a number of opportunities for people in you know, IT and security people in this environment to recognize that something was really bad was going on, and the reaction was, "Oh well, you know, we keep seeing this particular account lo- trying to log in. We'll just disable that account, right? Not not yeah, they- not launch an investigation." Not right. just,
1: they, they talked early on how there was plenty of evidence in retrospect uh, that wasn't properly recognized right. by the team, right? Uh, that delayed getting the right eyes on the situation to, to minimize the impact when they had early um, indicators of compromise. One, Two of them that I thought were interesting, uh, kind of going back to the psychological aspect of all this, uh, this was early, early in the event. There was a security incident response manager who was uh, looking into the situation and, you know, they weren't exactly sure what a security incident was. was it, but, but of interest to me that caught my eye was the security incident response manager delayed reporting because he felt that additional pressure would be put on him and his team once the situation became known to management. Right. And the evidence also suggests that the reluctance to escalate the matter may have come from a belief that it would not reflect well in the eyes of the organization if their matter turned out to be a false alarm. That's some bad culture right there in impacting security response. Yeah,
0: ab- ab- and I find that interesting. Absolutely. I, I, don't think that's, um, I don't think that's unusual. And I suspect, by nope. the way, that you're going to see... Kind of both ends of the spectrum, you know on the one hand if you if you raise a false alarm, you might be penalized, but on the other hand, in some environments, you may be penalized for uh you know for for actually raising you know th- nobody wants to hear the bad news basically you the the messenger's going to get shot yeah and, and so so uh you know I would say that the uh the findings in this report are as much organizational as they are technical and maybe even more so it was uh, it was just a an, an excellent read in terms of um, you know, again, how the, how the actor moves th- through the environment. They um, just kind of over the, over the course of several weeks compromised different systems uh, and, and uh, credentials. And they kept trying to get to this database. Apparently they, they recognized that the database was there, but they just couldn't find the right credentials until eventually they landed on the right system. They were able to gather the the correct credentials and then, Uh, Then then they ran like hundreds of different queries. Um, One of the interesting things that I hadn't actually seen before, and it's a little unclear to me, and I think it's unclear to the investigators too, exactly how this went down, but one of the workstations apparently, uh, I think it was the initial workstation, what they called Workstation A, um, the, the bad actor apparently installed two virtual machines on it, and was um performing a lot of their uh, you know a lot of their lateral movement and command and control through those two virtual machines that that he or she installed on uh this compromised workstation and then uh, and then so so mm-hmm. all that's pretty interesting and whatnot eventually um the this you know the 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 story is is blown or the the, the actor is uncovered. Uh, when, after a couple of days, the, uh, the a database administrator recognizes that someone is running all these queries against the database, and then it, you know, kind of unravels, and uh, you know, and, and they they take action to kick the kick the bad guy out. Uh, you know, and by the way, when I say bad guy, it could also be a bad lady. I don't mean to be sexist there. Um, just and yet you were yeah yeah sorry about that um, but um several days later they saw they they saw i think it was uh like a week maybe two weeks later they saw the actor trying or at least who they believe is the actor trying to regain access to the environment through phishing emails of uh you know, of, of one of the people whose workstation he had previously he or she had previously compromised and uh, and that actually is what prompted them to disconnect the net, the internet right so they because they just didn't have confidence that they you know they knew that they had a um, you know kind of a um, a focused adversary targeting them and and they they weren't convinced they knew understood all the things that were happening so that was their their choice and this is a very interesting decision you know you have to like it, it's this is an interesting uh, mental game to play. Like, okay, so you have recognized that you've got this bad actor in your environment, and you know, and, and you've taken action to kick them out. But you know that they're pretty sophisticated, and now you see them. You see evidence that they are trying to make concerted efforts to get back in. What are you going to do, right? And that's in, in this case, yeah, they is- chose to disconnect the the uh, workstations from the internet.
1: Which may be a viable option, right? I guess it all depends, right? Uh, in this case, I see some of the logic there. We don't know all the avenues. We don't have control of the situation. We got to stop the bleeding,
0: right? Right. So yeah. Anyway, if you're interested in such things, I, I uh, highly recommend you read the report or at least sections of the report. The, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of fluff in there, but there's uh, there's also like the uh, the the detail about the attack is really interesting. And there's a very long write-up on recommendations, which are are also very good. And probably, by the way, pretty relevant to most organizations. They, they talk about database access monitoring, for example. All right. Um so moving on to our next story. This one comes from nextgov.com. And the title is HHS releases voluntary cybersecurity practices for health industry. Um you know, again, this is as the title leads you to believe it is voluntary, right? But I, I kind of see this as a the first step towards modernizing HIPAA, and I and I know I'm going to raise the the ire of some people. Uh, but wow, I know
1: we are going to get some hate mail. Uh,
0: I know, I know, but um, but it's it's really quite good. I I will tell you, they released two separate guides, one for small. Healthcare organizations, and then one for medium and large uh, hospital systems, and um, and and it they kind of read like a mixture of eight hundred fifty three with the CIS top twenty cybersecurity controls. That's the best way I could characterize them. But they're um, they're actually good, right? I mean, it's it, it's it's real meaningful stuff, and and you know it. Both technical technical, uh, technical controls and, and process advice. I you know I the, really there's only one section in each document that is actually specific to healthcare. The rest of it is kind of like general good practices that you know the average the average organization could probably pick up and learn from. So that's good stuff.
1: Indeed. And, indeed and by the uh, way it's
0: still actually online even though <laughs> even though the HHS uh, website unlike by the way NIST the HHS website remains online so if you actually try to go and download the, uh, the like the NIST cybersecurity framework yeah good luck it's ugly it's ugly all right um, next is uh, kind of I, I've gotten so many I told you so's on this next story have you? Have you not? I've 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 gotten a, a several. So the title uh, actually this comes from ZDNet, and the title is "Data of 2.4 Million Blur Password Manager Users Left Exposed Online." Yeah. God so, darn it!
1: Look, I'm going to say it up front. I still think password managers are viable, useful, good tools. Yes. Yes, it concentrates risks. Yes, it makes things a little in a worst-case scenario really bad. But I think the likelihood is so much lower of the likelihood of a reused password being popped and and you know used elsewhere. That's just me. I just I...
0: No, I, I I think you're absolutely right. It you know, it's so so I'm, I'm you know, I'm up, I'm of up two minds here. On on the one hand, I absolutely agree with you. Still, and, and by the way, I still personally use a password manager because I, I, I feel very strongly about this. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I, th- I feel like the company here missed the mark on the risk, right? So if you read the if you read this article, they talk about how it was, you know, it was the the email addresses and the the hashed password that of their users that were stolen. It wasn't the, it wasn't the password stolen or stored in their, in their password vaults that was stolen. Those were not stolen. It was the, it was the password that you use to get to those, into those vaults. And that's where I think the kind of the crux of the issue, or at least my concern comes in that if, you know, if someone is able to, uh, to recover the passwords out of the, the hashes they were stolen they may not have directly you know gotten copies of the passwords out of the vaults but now likely they have access to get into vaults through what looks like otherwise legitimate connections right <laughs> and so so you know two factor a lot of these password vaults by the way I don't know I don't know anything about blur so this is actually the first time I've heard about blur don't know anything about them but I do know that most password vaults will will um allow you to use two factor authentication. Uh, that's a certainly a a prudent step, I think.
1: Yeah. And they actually talk about a little bit in the article, how the actual password database themselves was not exposed because they don't hold it. And they actually kind of pat themselves on the back saying, you know, we, we, and I think it was a little dodge on, uh, on throwing some shade on some of the competitors who do maintain a centralized password database. Um, Oh, so they um, don't?
0: Um, I, I I guess I misread stored that. Stored passwords. So, yeah, no. So they don't? Uh, let
1: me go back and let me go find the actual section. Yeah, no. They they talk about how um, the the master password hashed and salted um, was leaked, but why is it hiding? Why there it is.
0: Um, but they. Oh, so it says the company stressed that no passwords stored inside Blur user <coughs> accounts were exposed. That, see, that, that, that's what kind of led me to think that it is a, like a cloud-based rather than
1: – Yeah. does uh, the company stressed that no passwords stored inside Blur user accounts were exposed. Quote, we do not have access to your most critical unencrypted data, including the usernames and passwords for your stored accounts, your auto-filled credit cards, and so on. As frustrated as we are right now, we are glad that we have taken that approach.
0: Yeah, well I so so I I equate that to like I, I personally use Dashlane. Right. And and so Dashlane is a is a um uh cloud based service. And my understanding is that all of the passwords that I store in Dashlane services are encrypted with my master password. And so they are um they you know they couldn't decrypt my passwords if they they wanted to and i and i i guess maybe incorrectly you might be right i read that, that they're doing a similar a similar type of thing so any in any event um i know that that there are some password serv- or you know password programs like the old one pa- the old version one password not the new version right and keypass and in a few others actually will store them locally <laughs>
1: if I'm going to be an apologist for that industry, every time an incident like this happens, you got to believe that the other vendors are trying to up their game.
0: Yes. You would hope. That's yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is kind of like a, uh, an existential event for for that, Mm -hmm. for that industry. Right. So, um, but anyway, I, I, I I definitely am still strongly in favor of using password managers. I think the risk to, uh, to the, to the, Average person is far greater from using the same password. You know, look, the the best conceivable way would be you know, other than using two factor everywhere would be, you know, ha- memorizing some kind of unique password for every service that you use and never writing it down, never typing it's, it anywhere. But I that's just, not, <laughs> just not, not viable. It's not viable, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and you know, as we know, I'm sure. People are screaming at their podcast playing device. Well, two factor could be hacked too.
0: Yeah, and by the way, that's a great segue. That's what I'm here for. Into to our last story, which comes from Ars Technica, and the title here is "Iranian Fishers Bypass Two FA Protections Offered by Yahoo Mail and Gmail."
1: So not only are they out in the boat catching their daily catch, but they're learning to bypass. Right, wrong fishers. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, okay. that's right. My my bad. Carry on.
0: Well, you know this—the oceans. You know, is the is the fish die off? They gotta, they gotta find new ways of living. It's the way, way, it's the way it goes. You know, this show took a turn. Adaptation, survival of the fittest, I think, or something.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, how how do they bypass UFA?
0: Yeah. So uh, so they are uh, they're sending out fishing emails using a link to a, a what what it basically amounts to a proxy a proxy page. That um, that that the victim attempts to log into, and as they point out, the uh, um, the the page that these people are directed to has a you know has a little tickler that alerts uh, you know, and I, I actually think there's a more automated way to do this that somebody recently released as a open source tool, but in this particular case, um, the 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 phishing page had like a, a zero byte image on it. Or transparent image or something like that, that alerted the bad guys and ladies that uh, somebody was trying to log in, and they basically that the the criminals here kind of synchronously tried to log into you know whether whatever backend service the um, the victim was trying to log into, and if it if if uh, the, the the criminal was prompted by Gmail or Yahoo Mail or whatever for a second factor, they would. They would uh direct the victim to a lookalike page that prompted for the two factor token, which the victim would dutifully enter, the criminal would receive, you know, in a timely manner, and then would be able to in turn log uh, so, complete. So it's a login. matter
1: of capturing and replaying it before it expires, is Correct. what it really comes down to.
0: Correct. Yeah. I mean, at its core, this is a very simple attack. There's like nothing Yeah. There's nothing complicated at all here. It's, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, it's it's kind of the functional equi- equivalent of uh, calling someone up and saying, you know, what's your Gmail username? Okay, you know, what's your Gmail password? Okay, well, it's asking for a two-factor token. What's that, too? And
1: Well... It- <laughs> But I guess the flip side is, if we've taught people that two factor is really hard to breach, and they use two factor, would that lower their suspicion? Would that make them uh, lull them into a false sense of security, which makes them more likely to fall for this because they use two factors, so they're fine.
0: I I, I actually think you're probably right. I mean, it, it, maybe not for everybody, but you know, I, I suspect yeah. that it does. It does. I mean, it's kind of like uh, Brian Krebs wrote a couple of weeks back about how. The the preponderance of of uh, phishing websites now use HTTPS,
1: right? But they're secure. My browser told me.
0: Right. You know, you see the little stupid lock in the upper left hand corner. What like you've all been trained to look for. So so yeah, um, and th- they go on to point out that really, just about every two factor, you know, pr- um, protocol that exists except one is is very likely to fall for this yeah you know you could think that so even something like RSA secure ID would be vulnerable to that
1: no no you've got plenty yeah sure would you've got you've got about a, I don't know I think it's I think it's programmable but about a 120 second window right uh, because there's there, you've got you, these tokens got to account for, for time drift and all sorts of issues but um, so I guess the real question is is this a novel interesting attack that is not a real world risk very often in other words it's an edge case and then it's not prevalently seen. Uh, that makes us, you know, have to throw everything out. But it's getting a lot of press because it's novel. Uh, or is it going to be widespread? Because if it's if it's an occasionally seen, uh, rarely used attack, I'm not as worried about it.
0: Uh, yeah. You know. I, so so that that's a that is a great question, and I would say, I think it's it's going to be much more of a consumer targeted attack because if you, if you think about it, it's much more difficult. Though not impossible, it's much more difficult to route someone in a company through one of your one of your phishing pages, and then you know, and then capture the token in a manner that allows that, that's useful to the to the attacker. Now, the resource would otherwise have to be accessible from the internet. If you have, you know, if you if you're if if you're connecting to internal resources, that second factor may not be very useful to someone. Who's sitting outside of your network and collecting those credentials? But you know, may- maybe that is the thing that they're using to get into your VPN system, or or you know, your, your whatever.
1: It's also a high cost attack because you've got to have, you know, it's not easy to pull off. It's not trivial. True, at least not yet. So I, I'm not. I'm, I guess what I'm saying is we got to take a measured approach, right? Let's not throw out the baby
0: with the bathwater. I mean, unless you really don't like the baby, in which case, who am I to judge? <laughs> That's right. So um, they they do point out that there is there is one common and increasingly common kind of two factor technology that doesn't uh, fall victim to that, and that's the U two F, the Universal Second Factor, because it's you know it's it's a kind of a two way authentication. There's a you know the, the the browser that on your computer or the application on your computer basically has to talk directly and and do a handshake direct with um you know with with your u s b device or n f c device and so these pass through attacks wouldn't wouldn't work now that's not to say that sometime down the line people find a way you know some kind of vulnerability in that in that system, but for now, this particular type of attack wouldn't work against u two f
1: for uh,
0: now for now so that is the first episode for 2019 welcome back everyone we're glad you're here
1: yeah and and i'm glad we're here that's right and hopefully we'll be here more often but i get it it's tough when you've got a day job
0: that's right like yours which is insanity (laughs) that's right like i said it should be calming down i hope Alright. So uh so thank you very much everyone. Um let's see just a reminder that uh you know I, I set up uh if you're if you're all interested in experimenting with a new social media platform, go to infosec.exchange. Yes, ex dot exchange is actually a TLD. Can you imagine, can you believe that? That's pretty cool.
1: Um wait, what what country is that for though? I mean is
0: it like exchangeistan. <laughs> It's some some uh, it's one of those exoplanets I think. Oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, thank you to our Patreon donors. Uh, thank Absolutely. you very much. You um, guys are awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be, I'm about to be putting those servers that it pays for to to good use pretty soon. Uh, let's see any uh, any conferences or anything notable you want to mention you got coming up
1: uh not yet you know we're just kicking off 2019 uh, like you my job's gotten crazy busy so i don't have as much opportunity to go to conferences as i used to i'm hoping to fix that this year we'll see uh i don't have any uh, any speaking slots coming up or any side projects of note at the moment but hey we're just kicking off the year so that's right we'll see what happens.
0: for for those of you going to ShmooCon, have fun yeah. indeed stay warm hopefully yeah, that's right They got some snow up there. All right. We will talk again. Oh, just uh, before I do that, you can find links to the stories we talked about on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg. You can follow me on Twitter at Malicious Link. And with that, we will talk again uh, hopefully next week. Take care. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.